We are so blessed in this church with the music ministry and the program that we have here. And I, I just uh, have loved, I love this season anyway, but with the various services we've had and the music that we've shared, it is absolutely a glorious time. I need you to give me a second to rectify my type A behavior. And I just need to fix that. Because I'm one of those people that had we not done that through the whole sermon, it's going to be, and I normally do it at the beginning of the silent time of the prayer, but I couldn't wait. I just had to go. What a privilege it is to, to, uh, to be a part of this church. I want to say thank you to a group of people who do so much behind the scenes. And it's our altar guilt. We are absolutely blessed because we have... Uh, we, we have now given them a promotion, uh, which came with a percentage increase, of course. And, um, but, but before they were church mice, we now refer to them as our church angels, because they're, they're a group that come in, set up the trees, the garlands, the wreaths, the advent wreath, you know, set out all the poinsettias, make sure that when we join together to worship our God, that the place is set up to create an, an atmosphere and an environment where we can worship God. And I am just so grateful. There are several of them that are in this room now. I will not make you stand. But uh, we are just so grateful to you and we offer you our thanks. <laughs> Plus, you know, one of the things that comes with decorating is later on they get the joy of, you know, we'll meet back together and pack it all back up. So they do such a great job and we are grateful to them. I happened to walk in from the 1010 service downstairs uh, to robe up for this service and the children were getting ready to sing and there's a monitor, a t television monitor downstairs so I actually could watch and listen to our children as they sang in the children's choir. And um, if that doesn't touch your heart, I just don't know what will, to see children singing and, and leading worship. And, and so when they came back down a few moments ago, I was just telling them, I'm so proud of you guys. You did great jobs. We were getting pictures. So that was one of the reasons I was a little late, late coming up because we were, we were making pictures together and laughing and high-fiving. And what a great group of kids. And they really make Christmas special. Our scripture today is from Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Verse 13, scripture that, that you heard just a few moments ago in the lighting of the Advent wreath, a very special, powerful scripture that Paul shares with us. Romans chapter 15, verse 13, where Paul says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we're just so grateful for your love and grace, and we're grateful for the privilege of studying your holy word. And God, now as I stand before these, your people, I pray that this would be your message and not my own. Through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. It's Advent. I love this season. I love this season of the Christian year because once again, it's that time where we get ready for Christmas. We turn the colors to purple, which is a color of preparation, a color of repentance, a, a color of, that tells us we need to examine our lives and make, 
make sure that we're ready to receive once again the gift of the Christ child. We, we have a time then when we, when we decorate things. We, we decorate the church. We decorate our homes. In our culture, we do things somewhat differently than, than some other cultures do in the sense that, that there are many cultures today that the Advent is truly a time of preparation and the decorations occur on Christmas Eve and then you, you have the 12 days of Christmas following that take you up to Epiphany. But here we, we celebrate and we decorate and we get ready. It, it builds some anticipation. It builds some expectation. It lets us know something holy is getting ready to happen. Something special is getting ready to happen. We've been decorating our home as well last Last weekend, we, we got most of the Christmas decorations out. and You know, part of my job is, is to get it down and then get out of the way. You know, and so we, we get the Christmas decorations down and get everything right. And we hang, hung the garland and stuff on the front of the house. This weekend was the weekend that I dread every year. It was to put up the tree. We have one of those pre-lit Christmas trees too. It's an artificial tree, pre-lit, because we realized when our kids were little that, that Nancy and the kids would always get sick right around Christmas. And one of the reasons was we were bringing things they're allergic to right in the house and living among it. And so, you know, you go, well, let's put up a Christmas tree. Great idea. You know, get an artificial. That works well. Let's do a pre-lit tree. Sounds like a great idea. Sounds like a great idea. <laughs> and every year... We bring the tree up, and I start having this prayer. God, please. Please, God, when I plug it in, Lord. <laughs> let all the lights work. Because I dread, especially one that's pre-lit, where they kind of twist in this thing. Have you ever tried to trace lights on a pre-lit tree to find out which little rascal is causing this problem? Oh, it's such a challenge. And I bought those little tools. Click, click, click. Nothing working. Throw the tool. <laughs> this year, I prayed the prayer. We plugged in the tree. All the lights came on. I have experienced Christmas already. <laughs> uh, it's a lot of fun. We, we decorate. We have great times. And, and there are memories with the ornaments that go on the tree. There are memories. This was my grandmother's, or this was Nancy's grandmother's, or this, this was given to us by here or here or there. And, and, and there are so many memories and things that, that Advent and Christmas evokes. And it's, it's a great time. And we join together as the church to celebrate what God is doing celebrating the hope that God gives to us as well. We are the people that are between the first and second advents. I mean, we already know that Christ has come. We've been worshiping here all year long, so we know that even though we're now getting ready for Christmas, you know the story. I don't think any of you are going to show up on Christmas Eve, and as we start sharing the story and reading the Scripture, I don't think any of you are going to go, whoa, 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 time out, time out. Did you just say baby in a manger? I did not see that coming. I don't think that we know the story. We're joining together as the church to celebrate it again. To be reminded. Because sometimes in the busyness of our lives, we can forget what God has done in our lives. We can get caught with all the other voices that we stop hearing the voice of God reminding us of who God is and how much God loves us and how God has intervened in our lives. 
So we, the church, join together to celebrate what God has done, what God has done, and what God is doing. But Advent is also to prepare us for the second Advent when Christ comes again. We share that in the Apostles' Creed, when, when th- from thence he shall come. And in Jesus said in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, but I will come again to receive you to myself. So, so Advent is a time for us to go, God has come and, and God is coming again. And, and what a blessing to be the people of God. It's a season of hope. Hope. To celebrate that this God, Paul says, may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace and believing so that you may abound and hope by the power of God. But you know, it's, it's getting harder to be hopeful today. As a matter of fact, the Center for Disease Control has shared that at any given time, there are about 9% of us, 9% or so of Americans are hopeless. We feel hopelessness. We feel despair. We, 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 just, we just feel that, that there's nothing else we can do. That, that around 9% of us at times are just ready to to throw up our hands and just go, I, don't, I, don't, I can't do this anymore. I, I don't know what else to do any, anymore. And we sense that, that sense of despair. There, there's so many pressures that go on in our life. And as we join together with our staff team, we do our prayer list each week. And when we have our staff meetings and when the clergy get together, we look at the prayer list that you find in your bulletin, but we're going through the various names. And, and we start thinking about that. It, if 9%, that means today on this campus, well over 100 people were feeling, I don't know what else to do. Can you imagine that? Well over 100 people that were here today were going, I, I, just, I just don't know what, I don't know, I don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't know how we're going to do it. I mean, sometimes we have issues that are going on in our homes and our, and our families and our marriages, and we just feel like, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. I don't know if it'll work. And, and we, and we want to raise our children right, but, but things are happening in our kids' lives. And we, I've tried this, tried this, tried this. I don't know what else to do there. And we're trying to care for aging family members, but sometimes distance is involved and we're exhausted. And, and then there are issues at work where we're trying to perform or something happened or here was a curveball, here was a change, and, and I don't know how I'm going to be able to do that. And, and then we get that diagnosis. Wow. The one that we've heard about, but we never thought it would be us. And then we, some of us, you know, we... We get the, when the doctor sits down and with compassion looks at us in the eyes and here you go. This is, this is what's before you and it knocks us off our feet. Some of us have lost loved ones and, and we're trying to figure out how will we go on in a time without this person who's been the anchor so much in my life. How, how will we do this? Some of us are just the guilt and the shame that we felt is unreal. Even studies are showing that our youth today are stressed more than ever before and and hopeless more than ever before. Suicide rates are high. We just, we just don't know what to do. And how, how are we going to manage this? I mean, academically, the pressures today are unreal to be able to get into the school that, that you want to get into or the school that you're expected to get into. And the pressure of that is, is, is so real. And athletically, the pressures that we have, I mean, no matter how big our schools get, they still only allow five people on the basketball court at a time. And so the pressure to be, how do, I get, how do I get to be one of the ones that get to play? That's hard. I mean, they don't go, you're a larger school. Y'all get nine. You can put nine on the court. Be nine on five. It doesn't work that way. So we struggle and, and we wrestle. 
But yet we come into the sanctuary and we light this candle as a symbol of Christ, our hope. How do we, the people of God, embrace God's gift of hope to conquer our hopelessness? And to recognize that even though there may be times in our lives and things happening in our lives where we throw up our hands and go, I don't know what else I can do. There may not be much else that we can do. But thank God we have a God who's the God of hope. Who's a powerful, almighty God who so loves our world. Paul is writing here in Romans. He's wrapping up the end of the book. Romans is a special letter, special sermon, special writing that Paul wrote. And, and if, you're, if you're in a Sunday school class or a Bible study or a life group and you, you get to that point going, what, what should we do next? What would be another good? Romans is always a great choice. Because it is absolutely loaded with, with Paul sharing this amazing theology about how, man, when it was hopeless, yes, all of us have sinned, all things had messed up. We, our relationship with God had been so broken, but our God loved us enough to intervene. Our God. Our God didn't give up on us. Our God didn't say, you know what, I set you people up in a Garden of Eden, and now you made your bed, just lie in it. Our God didn't do that. Our God said, you know what, I still love you. I love you so much. And God chose to intervene. And Paul walks us through in the book of Romans how God intervenes and how we are justified by our faith then and saved by grace. And, and so Paul then shares with us as he wraps up. Notice how he starts concluding when he says, so may the God of hope. Because his point is, if you read the rest of the book, then you know this now. That you know your God that I've been telling you about, sharing with you about, is a God of hope. So may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that you may not simply have hope, but you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says God is, God is a God of hope. In the Westminster Dictionary of Christian Theology, hope is defined this way. It's defined as hope is the expectation of a good future which rests on God's promises. It's the expectation of a good future which rests on God's promises. Earlier in Romans chapter 5, scripture that was also read a few moments ago when you were lighting the Advent wreath, Paul says, Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. But Paul goes, but not only that. I always get tickled when I get to this section because I see Paul moving into an infomercial at this point. Because, I mean, you know, just kind of picture, I mean, Paul's going, you know, we, we boast in the hope of sharing in the glory of God, but wait, there's more. And not only that, not only that, we boast in our sufferings, even when we're going through hard times. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that He's given to us. Wow. No wonder Paul wraps up then saying, may the God of hope, may the God of hope fill you 
with joy and peace and believing. Paul wants us to know, we, it, it may seem that, that there are things around us that are so overwhelming that there's no way we can get our arms around it, but the good news of it is we have a God who gets His arms around us and it, whatever it is. We have hope. Paul's writing to the church at Thessalonica, and he wants the church to understand they're, they're wrestling with grief. They're wrestling with what happens when we lose loved ones, when someone in our life dies. How, how do we deal with that? How do we get through it? And Paul writing in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13 says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. We don't want you to be uninformed about those who've died so that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. We don't want you to grieve like others do. I mean, there are many in our world today that are, that are experiencing pain and grief and, and we experience that genuine loss when we lose someone. But the good news is that we have is because God so loved the world that God came and, and, and lived among us and, and, and came as a baby in a manger to experience everything that we've experienced loved us enough to die that we might be forgiven, to rise offering us everlasting life, that when we lose someone we love, it may hurt like everything inside, but thanks be to God, there is still hope. We don't grieve like those without hope. We have the promise of everlasting life for all who believe. Jeremiah, Jeremiah had the task of, of preaching to Israel as a prophet for God during a tough time. I mean, Israel had, had been the people of God that, that had been kept, taken captivity in, in Egypt, and, and God had sent Moses, who had delivered them across the wilderness with amazing miracles and signs, and, and, and fed them and cared for them, and taken them into a promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, set up the kingdom. I mean, it was absolutely gorgeous. But the people of God began to forget God. We do that sometimes when things are going really well in our lives. We begin to forget the God who blessed us. And pretty soon they had turned their back on God and were worshiping other gods and living in ways that were contrary to what God had called them to be as a distinct, set-apart kind of people. And, and the next thing they knew, the Babylonians had come in, conquered their country, destroyed their city, destroyed their temple, and taken the people and spread them into captivity all across the land. And they're broken. They're absolutely broken. They're throwing up their hands. I don't know what else we can do. It's over. It's done. I mean, the Scripture even tells us there we sat by the waters. And as we thought of Jerusalem, we, we just cried. We cried. When we remembered, we cried. It, it's over. It's It's done. Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, God says, Jeremiah, tell this to my people. He said, for, I, for surely I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare, not for your harm. To give you a future with hope. Even though you may be banished in an unknown land with an unknown people, I have plans for you. You have a future with hope. We light this candle as a symbol of, of Christ, our hope. We just finished a Bible study on, 
on the book of Revelation. And those of you who are in the study, you know I, I dearly love, I love the book of Revelation. It's one of the most powerful books of the Bible, and, and I enjoy walking through it. It's just hard to preach on it. The reason it's hard to preach on it is because many of us come in with preconceived ideas of what the book of Revelation is about, and, and so therefore it takes the preacher about 20 minutes just to do the introduction to get you ready to hear what Revelation is about, but then we only have about 20 minutes for the sermon because you leave at 12, and, and so as a result, you know, it's kind of hard to do. But here's the cliff note version. It's a message of hope to a persecuted people. It's a call to faithfulness. I grew up being terrified of Revelation, but it, it's not to meant to be a message of, of horror and fear. It's meant to be a message of hope. It's meant to be a message of hope and praise. Why? Well, back in the 60s, now not the 1960s, like all the way back just to 60-ish, the Roman Empire is occupying Israel, and there's an emperor by the name of Nero, and, and Nero was about as cruel as you could ever imagine. Nero persecuted the church unmercifully. He did heinous things to Christians. And then after he martyred the Christians, he would display them so that when people would come into the regions, they would get to see if you do what they did, if you act like they acted, if, if you don't do what I ask you to do, this is what will happen to you. And, and, and it was terrorism. It was, it was a time of fear and agony for the people. And the people thought it, it can't get any worse. I just want to share with you, never say it can't get any worse. There's a couple of things that Christians we need to learn. One is, don't say it can't get any worse because it can get worse. The other is, you don't pray for two things. The two things you should never pray for are faith and patience. Because the way to get them is pretty tough. The things you're going to go through to get faith and patience can be pretty trying. The people thought, it just, it just can't get any worse. Well, it did. For years later, there was another little emperor that came on board. His name was Domitian. And Domitian was one of the most arrogant people you've ever met. As a matter of fact, Domitian came on board going, I would like for you to call me your Lord and God. Actually, I wouldn't like for you to call me. I'm telling you, you will call me your Lord and your God. Well, just imagine what that did to the people of God. The commands are pretty clear. You shall have no other gods. You shall worship no other God. You shall bow down before no other God. How are we going to be able to do that? The people of God couldn't do that, so they refused to do that. And Domitian, Domitian started persecuting in a church, the church in a way that, that made Nero look like a scout. And the people were amazed and they're going, has Nero been reincarnated? I mean, is Nero back? I mean, what is happening here? And, and the persecution was so bad that the people of God were throwing up their hands going, it's done, it's over, there's nothing else we can do. We're hopeless, evil has won. Where is God in the midst of this? And God calls John. And God allows John to get a glimpse of what God is doing. He gets to see a vision, a glimpse that's where he can see the, the battle that's occurring between Satan and all the forces of evil and God and the people of God. And what John gets to see is, is that, that God and the people of God are going to have ultimate victory. And so the call is, you're going to win. Hold on. God is going to give you victory. You will come out on top. Keep the faith. Keep the hope. Be faithful. God has been faithful to you and God is about to be faithful again. Hold on. You're a people of faith and hope.
Well, Revelation was written 94 to 95 AD. Domitian dies in 96. And things begin to change. But we got a glimpse of what's happening in our world and the difficulties in our world and the call to be faithful so that God can bring us victory. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, the writer of Hebrews says, We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. I was looking at the Chrismon tree earlier. A lot of the images that we have on the tree, some of the symbols that we have, some of the things that you see on the back of cars and other things actually were symbols that were created during days of persecution, during days when the church was going through hard times. And hard, how did you tell somebody, I'm a Christian? For example, I might be having, I might see John over here and, and I'm wondering, is, is, John, is John a Christian? Is this guy a Christian? And in the early church, during the days of persecution, what I might do while I'm talking to John is, is I might just take my foot and make a half circle, just a little crescent shape. Not saying a word about it, just, just a little crescent shape. If while I'm talking to John, he takes his foot and he makes a crescent shape as well. And now we have the image of that little fish you see on the back of a lot of people's cars. That was a way we just communicated, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. And then one of us very gently and quietly would just take our foot and cover that up very, you know, inconspicuously. So, but now I know I can talk to him about my faith because he's a Christian, I'm a Christian. A lot of the symbols that we use were ways that, that the church would try to describe this is who I am as a Christian. Many would take this symbol from Hebrews 6.19 that says we have this sure hope in Christ. We have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. And so what you would see is, is that, that people would take the symbol of an anchor and then they would put a crossbar on the top of it. It's known as the anchor cross. Some of you may have it. I was looking on the tree to see if, if that was one of our crispines and then I looked over and saw Rocio with her robe on a moment ago and she had this around her neck and I went, can I use that? That's, that's why you saw her take it off just a moment ago because she was wearing what's known as the anchor cross. It, it's the sign of, it's just an anchor, but around the top, there's just a wooden crossbar that's kind of put on it. And what happened was, is in the early church, a lot of people just looked and saw an anchor. But a Christian would look at it and go, that's the sign that Christ is our anchor. This is our hope. This is a sign of our hope. Rocio was sharing that she was given this cross when she was commissioned years ago as a missionary because it was the sign that missionaries shared and been able to have of who they are and those, those missionaries who are often persecuted for their faith. We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. Martin Luther King Jr. preached this amazing sermon called I Have a Dream where he, he had an image of hope and, and, and a lot of that sermon when you, you hear the story about it God just kind of gave to him on the spot as well and in the midst of that sermon that beautiful I Have a Dream he said with this faith with this faith we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. We'll be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope with this faith. 
We light this candle as a symbol of Christ our hope. David, in Psalm 39, verse 7, says, And now, O Lord, what do we wait for? I think there was a pause. And then David said, My hope is in you. Advent is a season of hope because it's a reminder to us of what God has done in the past. And it is a reminder to us of what God will do in our lives today. And no matter how bad we may feel that we just throw up our hands because we're hopeless, as long as there's God, there's hope. Charles Wesley wrote this beautiful hymn You sang it earlier. But sometimes we sing hymns without listening to them. He said, Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and our sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth, Thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Or as another hymn goes, something like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We light this candle as a symbol of Christ, our hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Will you pray with me? God, it is so much easier to light a candle for hope than it is to embrace it. Because there are so many sounds, so many voices, so many pressures, so many things that can push and pull on us and beat us down to the point where we throw up our hands feeling there's nothing else we can do. But God, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. For Christ is our hope and our power. And God, we are so grateful in this holy season that we are reminded once again of the fact that You are not a God who just set the world in motion and sits back and watches, but You are a God who intercedes and intervenes. And when things were their worst, You took on human form and lived among us to teach us of Your love and Your grace to die that we might be forgiven if we would simply believe in You and accept You as our Savior and our Lord, to rise that we might have everlasting life, sharing in the glory that You have forever. 
And then you promised that you would be with us always. You would never abandon us, but you are always here. God, we claim this grace. We claim this hope. And God, I pray, dear Lord, for each one that's in this room right now and and for all those who are hearing your word, God, I just pray that each of us would experience your hope, your joy, your peace, because you so love. And God, we so love you. So our hope is built on nothing less than you. In the name of Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen.